Big Buck Registries Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 110. Dean Capuano with Swarovski Optics in Deer Hunting, Rhode Island. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Gordon Whittington, Editor-in-Chief at North American Whitetail Magazine, and you're about to listen to another great episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, this is Nick Miller. And this is Jake Miller from O-Town Outdoors. And you're listening to our favorite deer hunting podcast, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, this is Tim Salerno with Salerno Brothers. Hi, this is Randy Salerno with Salerno Brothers. Get ready to listen to another great episode of the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm Jay Scott, and I'm joined here by my good friend, my fellow Buckeye, Dusty Phillips. What's happening, Dusty? Oh, man, this is another great episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Getting ready to launch off, Jay. I'm psyched that you're joining us, both Dusty and you, the listener, who um, uh, is, is dialing in right now. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to just talk deer hunting. And uh, we have another great episode lined up here with uh, Dean Capuano from Swarovski Optics this week, Dusty. Yeah, it's going to be a great show, Jay. I, I look forward to it. And, and absolutely, thanks, everybody, for tuning in with us every Saturday. We love it. We love producing the show. We love that you like the show, and thanks for tuning in. I can't thank you enough. If you have some time, uh, if you have an iPhone, leave us a review on iTunes. It's uh, bigbuckregistry.com forward slash iTunes, and that'll bring you right to your app, and then you can just do a search for the Big Buck Registry, and from there, you'll see all the links on how to leave a review. Uh, Dusty, there was something that came up on our Facebook page this week, and I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit, see if I can find it. Okay, this is sent in from... Josh and Nikki Westmerlin. Hey guys, love the podcast. I had a roommate in college that took me hunting about seven years ago. I killed a button buck within five minutes. My, my first time out This is a fun story, but after college, I moved back to my hometown of South Carolina. My family were never hunters, but I'm dying to get into it. I've bought all the gear and bought a house with some decent hunting land to go with it. I can't wait till hunting season starts September 15th. I'm starting with bow hunting, and my six-year-old daughter can't wait to get out there with me. I have a couple of questions as a basic first-time hunter that is setting up his property. First off, my hunting land is shady around the clock. What can I plant or put out that would do well both in the shade and help bring the deer in? You want to tackle that question, Dusty? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I would probably go with some kind of... Um some kind of like ground cover, like a clover alfalfa mixed. It's going to pick up the natural light of the sun just because it's daylight. And I think it should germinate just fine. Uh, maybe pick up like a triple 12 fertilizer to add to that for a little bit of uh, a little bit of fertilization. After it germinates, it's going to go ahead and eat that fertilizer and it's going to grow into a, a nice mature cover. Excellent. Thank you. And 
that's the farmer and you coming out. So that's great. I figured you knew exactly what to plan. The second question from Josh is, second, I have two trail cameras out, and I caught a doe on the camera the first day. But as I was hanging my tree stand this weekend, I found someone else's trail cam with bait on my property. What's the sportsman's way to handle that? A couple of big issues going on there, Dusty. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely some major issues. Uh, You know, one one for one, they're trespassing. They're trespassing. If it's his property and they're on it, that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's one of the things where do you, you, you got to stop and think a little bit, Jay. You got to think as a property owner, it's uh, kind of disrespectful and obviously you're irritated about it. So, but put all that behind you and be a good sportsman. Uh, maybe kindly leave a, a note in a uh, plastic uh, Ziploc baggie and maybe stake it to the ground right where the corn pile is at and, and asking that or stating that, uh, you know, I come across your, your feeding pile and you are trespassing on my land. And any questions, leave your phone number and your name and tell them that you're the landowner and, and, and go around it kindly to, to initially kick that off. That's exactly how I was going to answer that question. Leave a note, leave a phone number, talk, give me a call. We'll talk about it. Uh, but this is my land and you're, you're technically trespassing. So please. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's probably just, um, 95, 98% of the time. It's just somebody that don't know the boundaries and, and, and they've crossed them and, Right. You know, a little note, get their attention. Maybe they'll call you and, and just let them know that uh, that they are trespassing and, and, and that you don't appreciate it and that uh, you'd like for them to remove what they have on your land. And if it, if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't get removed, then, you know, you, you, you might have to take the next step. That's something you don't always want to do. Um, but if necessary, you, you may have to. And hopefully don't get to that point that you can both be men or and, and go on with uh, with your hunting season. Exactly. And, you know, if it's a new piece of property, there's a chance that somebody was just hunting it and didn't realize that it was a boundary thing and nobody ever challenged it. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a whole lot of variables there. It's easily done. Uh, you know, it, it happens. It's going to happen. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's not much you can do about it. And being the new owner of it, that, that person may have had written permission prior years or verbally told that they can hunt there. Yep. So now it's just something that you're going to have to address and be professional about it. And that way you don't have no issues of things getting stolen out of your woods and you don't want to get in that battle. Exactly. And that's that's how we would handle it, Josh. So thanks for the question. Uh, Josh finishes up by saying, I would love to hear you guys discuss these questions on the podcast. As a new hunter, I've already learned so much from you guys. Love the podcast and can't wait to send y'all a picture of a big buck. Uh, doesn't get any better than that. So, Josh. Yeah, good luck, Josh. We, yes. we wish you the best and hopefully we helped out a little bit and uh, you can take your hunt to the next level. Absolutely. So if you have questions like Josh did, uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash big buck registry just leave it a post on the the page there or you can always shoot either me or dusty an email j or dusty at big buck com. so dusty let's uh let's move on and uh, get dean on the show and let's talk about his whole story about how he developed uh, a love for hunting as a young man um, actually landed a job in the hunting industry kind of haphazardly through his sister, um, played some uh, professional hockey or was at least going that way, and uh, ended up with his own TV show. Kind of an interesting story and, and how he is promoting Swarovski optics through a television show. Let's do it.
Dean Capuano, welcome to the Big Buck Registry. How are you? Good. I appreciate you guys having me on. We're psyched, man. It's uh, it's good to talk to a New England boy. You know, I, I end up having yeah. to talk to Dusty from Ohio all the time, which isn't a bad thing. <laughs> but it's nice to hear some New yeah. England New England voices again. Yeah, and hopefully my uh, New England accent's not too bad for all your listeners. <laughs> See, I don't even hear it. Dusty tells me I have an accent, and I tell him he does, and he's like, no, you do. No, I say, no, you do. So we go back <laughs> we, and forth. We go back and forth on that. Yeah. But I don't even hear you it. You know what? It's, it's funny. I think I've traveled for so many years now. Hopefully, I've gotten rid of it a little bit. There's certain words, and, and if I get a little fired up about some subject, they'll come out. But, uh, you know, I never forget my roots, that's for sure. Gotcha. So, Dean, where are you from? I'm actually from Cranston, Rhode Island. Cranston, Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Born, born, born and raised. Right on. That's excellent. Uh, what? Uh, how old are you now? Oh, I just turned 43. So, um, you know, I've been in the hunting industry since been in the hunting industry 18 years. I got out of college, finished playing hockey, doing all that stuff when I was about 27, 28. Wasn't sure what I was going to do, and the only other thing I had done for a long time was hunted and fished, and I thought, boy, I need to get a get a job in the industry. It just so happens for us, the optic was quite my backyard, and it worked out great. Gotcha. So what, what was life like as a kid in the 70s in Cranston, Rhode Island? You know, um, in a lot of ways, I wish we could go back there. It was There was no social media. Um you know, you could you could hunt and fish pretty much anywhere without too much of a hassle and not too many licenses, but uh, certainly different from today. But I, I grew up, you know, Cranston is around a small state, obviously, but we had some really good hunting and fishing, and, and I grew up in a huge athletic family. We all played hockey, and, you know, when we were in the ice rinks, we were outdoors doing something, whether it was hunting and fishing and I fished a little bit more when I was a kid just because I was so busy in the winter skating. Um, you know, kind of took away from the hunting season, but uh, as I got older, I, I definitely learned a more of an appreciation for hunting. Gotcha. I always think of Rhode Island more of a fishing state than a hunting state. I didn't even know if you could fit yeah. hunting down there in that little tiny state down there in the corner. <laughs> exactly. That little state that probably should have stuck in the Connecticut or Massachusetts at some point. But um, no, I mean, obviously, we've got huge, huge saltwater fishing here and, and a lot of good ponds. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. The fishing is great, but we've got a lot of good whitetail hunting and the turkey hunting. You know, I wouldn't say the turkey hunting in the 70s was great, but, uh, you know, as they started to put the turkey population, like I'm sure you've seen up in New Hampshire back in the mid 80s and late 80s. Yep. The last few years have just been phenomenal around here. And, and you know, we killed good whitetail. Uh, you know, I shot a 151-inch whitetail a few years ago, and I think he's, like, number seven all-time in the state. So, you know, that 150 to the 170, they, they, they're there, but uh, they don't come along too often. Gotcha. That's a good representation. I mean, 150 is nothing to sneeze at. And if you're doing it in a state that is, you know, and it's, New Hampshire is a small state, but Rhode Island's smaller. It's one of the, what's the smallest state in the in the nation, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. The biggest little state in the union. Biggest little state in the union. There you go. <laughs> so who introduced you to hunting and fishing growing up? You know, my dad uh, had a bunch of friends that uh, owned a camp up in, way up in northern Maine. And he was he was a big deer hunter growing up, and he was really the one that kind of uh, led me down the path that I, I'm on today. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's funny... In today's day and age, I just don't see that as much anymore. Fathers getting their sons into it. But uh, I'm really thankful that I had that relationship with my dad, and, and uh, he got me into uh, 
really what ended up being a career for me. Gotcha. And I'm, I'm finding that to be more and more like that. Um, I take my son and I'll be, you know, pry my, my firearm or my weapon from my cold dead hands before I, I don't bring my son in the woods or out on the, the water. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, yep. Absolutely. And I've got a, I've got a seven year old daughter and think, you know, I want her to grow up in a world. She already owns a couple of rifles and but haven't shot them so much. Do I still feel like she's a little bit young, but you know, she's exposed to it. It's part of her lifestyle and, and, uh, she's not afraid to speak up. You know, even, even in first grade, she's not afraid to speak up and, and tell people that she owns a gun. And, and, you know, it's a tricky thing nowadays with everything going on in society, but that's why I try to teach her the right way. And, you know, the gun needs to be locked up and all that, but, uh, yeah. definitely coming up in that world. Sure. So when did you get introduced to uh, college, or not college, when did you get introduced to just hockey in general? Was that part of your lifestyle in, in addition to the hunting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my uh, my whole family, we played a lot of sports growing up, but it ended up being a lot of us were, were exposed to hockey. I mean, probably, I was probably on skates for the first time at four or five years old. And it turned out myself, my brother, and two of my cousins, we all got drafted by the NHL, so we ended up being a, a really big hockey family at the uh, you know, even a big part today, my cousin Jack is the only one that's left in the game. He's uh, the head coach of the New York Islanders right now. So we're still involved with it as, as much as we can be. That's cool. That's pretty cool. So you had a real athletic family, too. And you had brothers, you said? Yeah. We've got a brother and two cousins, and we all played quite a bit. Some other relatives as well. So, you know, in, in the mid-'80s, early to mid-'80s, Rhode was a huge hockey state. It was, uh, you know, the high school I went to was, was ranked number one in the country for several years. So, you know, from a from a little state, we've got the high school I went to, we had 20 guys over the last 15 or 20 years, I guess, that were drafted by the NHL. So it really became a, a hockey hotbed for some reason. And even in your state of New Hampshire and Massachusetts as well, um, mid to late 80s was just a huge boom for hockey after we saw the, you know, 1980 Olympic team win that goal. A lot right. of us kids that were seven and eight years old got into the sport and that's all we wanted to do right that's a good point that's uh that, that was the right timing back then it's interesting that yep. rhode island became up like a powerhouse uh, you don't really think of that these days i don't think that that much although i guess providence is doing pretty good um yeah and out towards dusty's way i think it was miami of ohio their their hockey club's pretty decent these, these days, right? Yeah, we uh, they were actually really good. When I was in college or Providence College, they were one of the better teams in the, in the nation at that point. So we played them quite a bit. Gotcha. So growing up, you, you had brothers around. You must have had some competition. Um, did, did all your brothers hunt as well? Yeah, my uh, my brother, uh, we've got several cousins that were all the same age and Obviously, we were very competitive athletically. You know, I, I tell the story that some of our cellar hockey games were more competitive than anything I ever dealt with in college or anything else. And, you know, we used to come out of there bloody and, you know, um, but we all hunted and fished. You know, we left the ice rinks and that was the first thing we wanted to do. So we, we grew up doing that and we, you know, all of us, some of us are out of hockey now and we still, uh, we still get to do it every day and it's just awesome. Very cool. So where did you hunt and fish when you when you had or you had time? Did you go just in Rhode Island or did you venture out and throughout the New England states? Yeah, to be honest with you, growing up before I got quote unquote into the industry, most of my hunting was in the New England area. It was uh, you know obviously in Rhode Island. I had a lot of friends in Massachusetts that had some good land to hunt, and then 
you know, even as I went through college and, and uh, had some friends up in New Hampshire and Maine, and my two cousins played hockey at the University of Maine, so a lot of it was done throughout New England, and, and uh, I started to work at Swarovski Optic. Most of it was, was in New England. Okay. What kind of styles of hunting were you engaging in back then? You know, I... I I grew up a whitetail hunter, a northeast whitetail hunter. So I sat in my tree stand and, you know, uh, sat for long hours every day. And I got a little older, I might venture out. And as I got into bow hunting a little bit more, I, I, I prefer like the kind of the spot and stalk stuff. But, you know, it's funny. I went through a phase where that was all I did, where I, I kind of wanted to be on the move. But I think now as I get a little older, I, I, and as busy as I am, I love, you know, every year I'll take that second week of November off just to hunt at home. It's not even about getting a deer, to be honest with you at this point. It's about going to sit in the tree stand and, you know, watching the sun come up and just kind of taking in the experience. So I think I get a right. You know, maybe when I was 20, 22, 23, I didn't appreciate it as much. It was more about getting an animal, but I think as I've gotten older and appreciate the time off, I just enjoy that time in the woods more than ever. Right. I, I, I'm I with you. I'm your your age, a little bit older, yep. but I understand that. The older I get, the, the less I care about taking the animal, the more I care about the experience. It's kind of interesting yep. how things are developing. Dusty who's a little bit younger than us, is feeling the same way right now. And he's got a few more whitetails under his belt than I do, a lot more actually. And he's just shot some big deer out in Ohio because that's where they roam. Um, so yeah, he's, Dusty, if you know any good places out in Ohio, I'm looking for a place to visit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, there's uh, different counties and, and there's a lot of public land. Dude. I don't know if that's something that you'd be interested in, but there there absolutely is a lot of opportunity on public land here in Ohio. Hey, Dusty, if, if you want to... Uh, figure out what your best spots are and just send me the GPS board. That'll be fine too. Oh uh, yeah. That's a great question. You know, that, that sounds a little bit loaded. You've been talking to Jay before the show. My goodness. That's like Dusty's like number one thing that he says. I can't believe you pulled <laughs> that my, out, Dean. That's crazy. <laughs> that's my favorite question ever. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. No, Dean, uh, all, all kidding around beside man. I, I'm always down for having uh, people come hunt with me. I, uh, I work hard for, uh, to have some great setups and, and very fortunate to be on some land with some really nice mature whitetail. And I'm always an, an open invitation for that. Uh, you guys are getting some good deer out there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it's getting better as time goes on. Uh, these guys are figuring out that passing on these younger bucks leads into some greater opportunity in the future, you know? Absolutely. It's the only way to get them big is let them grow big. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, pe- people are starting to learn that. And I think that, uh, you know, the more that information as far as podcasting and TV shows and, you know, they're actually leading in the right direction as far as being able to pass the younger bucks and, and letting them get a little age to them. And, and it's more rewarding in the end. Yep, absolutely. We've got some properties here around the same thing. You know, I, I never expect to kill a, a 170, but there are plenty of, you know, 120, 125-inch bucks that are 3-year-olds or even 4-year-olds that, you know, when I take people hunting, I'm like, I know it's tough to pass. They look like a really good 8-pointer or a really good 9-pointer, but if they can just get them through the next year, they're going to be an awesome, awesome deer. Yeah, I think that's something that's often overlooked, that uh, you, what, what the capability antler growth is over one year period of time yep Hmm. yeah and it's tough for me i mean 
you know, like I said, I, I grew up a whitetail hunter. I think sometimes we as hunters get too wrapped up in score, but, you know, I know on my properties back here, I just like to, I just like to harvest a really old mature deer. If you can get to be eight or nine and, you know, he's a 135, 140, that's a great great deer oh yeah absolutely you know and you, you catch a deer on the downside of his antler growth and, and he's lived his life and and he's you know he's been able to play the world's best game of hide and seek with all the hunters and, and you yep. get an opportunity to harvest that deer or kill that deer boy that, that really sets in that uh your skill level has been you know you're taking yourself to the next level and what's amazing to me, I've really got into the trail cams the last few years. And, and, and the reason why I've gotten into them is more for my schedule and the fact that I would rather spend more time working on the trail cameras so that the actual time that I get to hunt, I'm picking the, the best spot to go. And I've got this one deer called Nemesis. I call them Nemesis because I've been after them for several years now. And I've probably got, oh, I don't know, four or 500 pictures of him. And maybe three of those pictures are in actual leading, uh, legal shooting hours. So it's just amazing to see how these bigger whitetails, when they get to be mature, how smart they are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the challenge levels way greater at, at a mature age of a whitetail. You know, it, yep. it, it you don't want, trying to word this right and not you know be offensive, but you, a, a two year old deer has more adventure. You know, just like a young man. But uh, yeah, you know, a, a mature deer has the the smarts of an old wise man that that's you know been around for a long time. And, and by saying that, you know. A two-year-old deer is like an 18-year-old young man. He's adventurous and kind of wild and runs around. And really, not not that he don't care, but his care level's down. Where the old man is is wise and, and he's he's figured out how to make it and live off the land. You know, an old mature buck, same way. That makes sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's no question at this point in my hunting career, especially when it comes to my home state, that there's, there's nothing better than, than catching up with a, you know, seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old mature buck that's just any of a state. It's, it's awesome. It definitely is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break that down a little bit. I may be a little off-tangent here, Jay, but I want to get into that a little bit. Okay. When you say that that's awesome, tell tell us a little more about your your hunting strategies for mature old whitetails. Yeah, and I think I think it's the reason why I mean why I've gone to trail cameras because I I would rather watch I would rather watch these deer and and figure out what they're doing and and it's like you said some of those younger deer. Um, you know, they can be a little bit less challenging, but to really focus in on one deer, you know, this, this deer that I call Nemesis, I've actually missed him a couple of times, but hopefully this year, hopefully the year I finally connect with him, but the, the sense of accomplishment on an older deer like that that's maybe fooled you a couple of times for me, um, you know, on properties that, yes, absolutely, I like meat in my freezer, we eat a lot of venison, um, you know, there's plenty of time for that. But for me as a hunter, to go in the woods probably 35 or 40 times a year and, you know, maybe 30 times pass on younger deer and then finally get an older deer, it's just, uh, it's the epitome of hunting for me. I mean, it's just, it's just what it's all about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, you know. And that's one thing that, that I try to stress to some of my buddies, and I know you're in the same scenario sometimes, that let that younger deer walk and, and feel the reward of, of killing that mature buck. Is that yep. something that that you often get in a conversation about? Yeah, and the hardest part for me is, you know, I'm one of those guys where I like to get people into hunting. I think that's a, that's a huge thing for us 
hunters nowadays is we need to bring people into the sport. And I've got a lot of friends that are athletic type people and just never hunted and they all of a sudden the last couple of years they want to get into it. Um, you know, and that's the hardest thing for me these first time hunters that are that can be really good for the sport ten years down the road, that can have the same philosophy as us, but you know, they haven't shot a deer yet. This is their first or second season hunting, and they want to shoot the first thing that, that walks by them. It, it's such a hard thing to say, no, just let that don't go. You know, let her go in September and October. You know she's there every day. More than likely she's going to bring in a big bucket. It's really a, a hard argument because on the same token, a lot of buddies that I bring for the first time, they, you know, shooting a doe, they'd be super happy, but, uh, you know, it clashes a little bit with my hunting philosophy where... You know, let's let's take out the the mature does that probably aren't breeding anymore, um, and let's let the young bucks kind of live and, and shoot the older ones that have kind of reached their potential. And then you got a really a chance of killing just a, a huge a huge deer. But it, it's hard. You're trying to bring someone into the sport to you know tell them hold off. And and you know, I've got family members that hunt. They've hunted their whole life, but you know with life and everything else that gets in the way, they only get to hunt a couple times a year and they get to stand and they want to they want to shoot the first thing that comes by and I can't blame them because they want to fill their freezer, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a hard argument to have. Right. You know, that, that boils down to, to more of a veteran hunter versus a, a new hunter and a little bit of management thoughts in your mind and trying to uh, keep your deer herd at the you know, most best potential that it can possibly be. And you, you run into... Um, the guys that shoot the does, first one they see, and you know it's a two-year-old doe, and 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 not realizing because they're not been in the seat long enough that 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 old mature doe is going to bust them in the tree stand more likely than that young doe, and, and she's not breeding and she's not really doing much for the herd, but she's she, you know she's eating her food source, and it's all a management thing that that the the whole concept is it's got to all come together in your mind before you realize that, and I, and that all comes with a, a lot of seat time. And many years of hunting. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, Dean, let's go. Let's go back to your twenties. You're uh, you're out of college. You're a hot shot uh, hockey player, and the Bruins call. Yep. Yeah. What happened with me was I had gotten drafted by them um, out of high school. So my senior year in high school, I got drafted and got offered a nice contract. But uh, you know, my father was pretty adamant. He said, "Hey, look, you know what?" Let's go to college. We've got a chance to, to go to college and get an education. And, and God forbid something happens. You've got something to fall back on. And so I decided to go. And I had a great freshman and sophomore year. And, and uh, at the end of my sophomore year, I had a chance at another nice contract. But we had a really good team at Providence College going into my junior year. I had a chance to uh, to win the national title. And, and uh, about four games into the season, I got hurt fractured my L5 vertebrae in my back, and um, mm. that was definitely it for that season, and then, uh, you know, came back the following year, so 10 months later, and, and uh, you know, was three or four games in and hurt it again, and, you know, just never was the same after that. Gotcha. So that's why I just kind of had to, you know, the hockey career ended, and it was one of those things, I graduated college, and I was like, okay, what do I do now, and, and uh, my sister happened to be uh, the head of sales and marketing or Blue Cross in Rhode Island, and they handled all the health coverage for for osteopathy. And she called me one day and she's like, "Hey, that company that makes Lifescopes is uh, hiring some people." And uh, gave him a call, and the position at the time was customer service. And I said, "Ah, you know what? We need to get my the door, see what happens." And, and we only had like nine people when I got the company, and, and uh, within four or five years, we we're bringing all the marketing in house. 
since 1998, I think, or 99. I depend on all the marketing. Got a team, a staff that we uh, we do everything marketing in house. It's worked out great. No kidding. So, your sister is to uh, credit for this. Yeah, and she's you know she doesn't let me forget it. I'm going to be constant, and uh, you know I host that TV show and everything, and, and we'll be talking about she's like you know if it wasn't for me, she wouldn't have me. That's so, funny. So, That's really funny. Better. That's a good sister right there. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, so so you you started out in customer service with Swarovski, and 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 then and I don't even I have such a hard time pronouncing that word. Um, the, 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 if you look at the word and and tell me if I'm doing the Swarovski, it's such a funny it's looking word. Think of it this way: if you've skied for years, yep. and you don't want to ski anymore, and you swear off skiing. Swarovski, got it. There you go. There, it's uh, if I were to. Pick a, a a name for a product. I probably wouldn't have picked that name, although they're the, some of the top scopes in the industry. Yeah, originally it's a family name um, out of Austria. They started making optics in 1949 for the German military, and it really wasn't until 1988 when we started actively marketing binoculars um, in the U.S. But uh, you know, when I joined the company in 1990, I think it was 96 or 97, we only had people in the building and, and uh, you know, the customer service position, basically I handled all the Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops and things like that. And I did that for about a year and then we established the position. I basically handled the entire flying um, market. Okay. And just kind of oversaw everything. And then two years later, the president at the time, we were using an outside firm for all our public relations and advertising, and he just approached me and said, hey, Buck, I want to bring all this in-house. Are you interested in editing it up? And it didn't take me long to say yes. That was, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years ago, and, and it's been going hard ever since. That's pretty cool. Now, how do you how do you go from customer service to being the head of marketing for a, a major brand in the optics company? To... Yeah, it was definitely a process. There's no question it was a process. I and mean, when I moved out of customer service, I was basically handling all the, the training and the, uh, you know, all the technical training, all the field training for the reps, Cabela's, Bass Pro, dealing with a lot of the magazines. And I came out of college with a double major in marketing and finance. Okay. So I was kind of set up for it. Gotcha. And, um, you know, like I said, at that point, we were, we were a lot smaller company. And uh, we've just grown, I mean, since 19... 98 is really where we really started to see our growth, um, and we just uh, we've had some tremendous years since. But uh, it's been it's been a ride, that's for sure. Gotcha. So when when did you pitch the television show? When did that come into play? Well, um, you know, from like 1998 to 2007, uh, you know, a big part of our marketing program was sponsoring other TV shows, and we still do that, and I think it's still a part of, a huge part of the marketing program, but the problem I saw was, yes, we could get logos on the TV, and yes, we could get product use, and all that kind of stuff, but they really didn't tell the story of the brand. We had such a story to tell, our history, and the product, and you know, even to the price of the product, it is it is the most expensive brand out there. So we need to we need to tell people, we need to educate our consumers why, you know, what you're getting, the product, the service, all that stuff. And I just felt like having our own TV show would would really bump that to the next level. So I just decided in 2000, uh, 2010 to to start our own TV show, and and uh, we jumped on board with a 
a couple of sponsors, a couple of partners, and it's been working great. It's been one of the highest rated TV shows on the Outdoor Channel the last several years. The, the first year we did it, the first two years actually, we were on NBC Sports, and then um, several years ago, uh, you know, it was a little tougher to get uh, hunting shows on NBC, so we decided to move to, at that point when we were on NBC Sports, we were both on NBC and the Sportsman's Channel. Yep. Um, and when we moved off NBC Sports, we decided, we decided to go directly to the Outdoor Channel, and, and now we air on the Outdoor Channel and Wild TV in Canada as well. So it's been great. Um, from my perspective, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. We've put a lot into it, but it really tells the story of the brand. And it kind of, you know, for me, it takes a little starch out of our collars. I think, you know, the average consumer looks at Swarovski's as well, you know, it's it's $3,000 or $2,500 for a pair of binoculars. So um, it definitely takes the starch out of, out of our collar a little bit, which I, which I am a huge component of. Right. So what's the premise of the show? Let's talk about the show a little bit. How did you develop it? Like what, how did you decide what you're going to talk about? Yeah, for me, for me, the show was always about, but you know, I, I, I have a pet peeve with some of the TV that we have in the hunting community where they're so loaded with sponsors and, um, you know, buy this, buy that kind of stuff. So for me, I, I took a page. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Walt Disney and what he did. Um, so I took a page out of his book and just felt like you have to entertain people before you can educate them. So I felt like, let's put together a show that puts our product in these situations. So we don't have to say how good it is. We don't have to say how good it is in low light. We don't have to say how good these rifle scopes are shooting at five or 600 yards. We just we put ourselves in situations where uh, the show kind of speaks for itself. Gotcha. Okay. So how long do you think you'll be running the show? Until, until you can't do it anymore? Yeah. You know, I mean, my take on it is it's a huge part of our marketing program, and we'll, and we'll certainly keep it going. And you know, it's one of those things that you look at the uh, you look at the ratings of the show every year. At least I know I do. And and when the ratings really sink and nobody wants to watch us anymore, that's probably the day I'll say, okay, enough. But uh, you know, last year we were in the top five from July uh, through the end of December, and I, and I I think I mean my gut feeling is is people do appreciate. Um, the fact that we're we're not pitching stuff too much. We're just we're coming. We're, you know, we're hunters. We're just. I go out and I hunt and I do some adventure hunts and, and I do some whitetail hunts and I do a little bit bit of everything. And I put myself in our product situations that the everyday hunter, you know, hopefully can be in at some point in his life. And I, I think that's what people um, gravitate to. Gotcha. I'd like to take every guest, um, or I'd like to have every guest that we have take us on a deer hunt and really break down a play-by-play type scenario for one of your most memorable deer hunts. I was wondering if you could do that for us. I'll have Dusty kind of walk us through it. But can, can you think of your most memorable deer hunt and, and take us back to what year this is and where we're going? Yeah, there's, there's a very simple answer to that. And I am, I am very fortunate that, um, I have gotten to literally hunt the world and hunt a lot of species and hunt a lot of countries and, and do some different things. But for me, uh, my most memorable whitetail hunt was that 151 and a half that I shot several years ago in Rhode Island. Okay. Uh, to be able to go out and buy a, a $9 tag and not have any cameras with me and uh, just hunt, that's certainly the most memorable moment, there's no question. Gotcha. Dusty, you want to set the stage for us here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's get into a, a little more detail of when this actually occurred. Can you give us a kind of a year? Oh, that year, 
there was, don't quote me on this, but it was either 2008 or nine. Gotcha. So we're going back to 2008 or nine. Yep. And, and we're going to, tell us what state. It was in Rhode Island. There's no question. You know, I love what I do. I love, uh, you know, involved with the marketing of this company. I, I, I love everything about it. But for me as a hunter, it's so nice to be in my own state, go out without cameras, um, have nothing, have no agenda of getting a show and things like that. It's just, just white tail hunting, and that's what's so special about that hunt. So let's walk through that hunt a little bit back in Rhode Island. We're going back to 2008 or nine. Tell us what the weather conditions were like. You know, it was funny. That uh, that piece of property we hunted, I I, um, I hadn't hunted it in a while, or a while, I'd say several weeks. And my brother was, uh, you know, he was hunting it pretty regularly, and he was seeing this six-point buck every day out of the same stand, three or four days in a row. And, and uh, it was a Saturday afternoon, and he called me. He's like, hey, let's just go up. Well, I'll film you. We'll shoot the six-pointer. It's coming. It'll be really cool. We'll do it together. And I was like, ah, you know what? I, I had a bunch of things going on. I didn't want to go do it. Finally, after a few minutes, it convinced me, convinced me to do it. So we're driving to the property that day, and it was just one of those really windy days that, you know, as a whitetail hunter, you kind of cringe, and you're like, ah, I shouldn't even be going into the stand on this kind of wind. But we're already there. We had committed to go. So let's go do it. So we get up in the stand, and sure enough, we're sitting there for about an hour and just, I don't know, 15, 20-mile-an-hour wind. But I was nervous about kind of just stopped. It literally just stopped. The temperature dropped. And it got to be about a half hour before, before dark, and we started hearing some deer on the ridge, and my brother looked at me and said, yeah, that's where the six-point has been coming from every day. It's got a chance. And sure enough, we hear the deer for a good three or four minutes before they actually come down the ridge and kind of feed through this little valley where we get this interesting deer. And uh, this buck, I mean, shows himself, picks his head, and right away, it was just like, you know, that was the deer you had to shoot. It's the greatest thing. I, I've got a video on it. It's a personal video. I've never put it out publicly that my brother and I have, and I shot this deer. And the first thing I did was look right at the camera, and I was like, that is no six-pointer. And uh, it was just awesome. I mean, the fact that it was it was such a surprise to both of us, and, uh, you know, one of those things that we have been hunting that property, and we, we take a lot of pride in knowing all the deer on our properties. And we had never seen this deer. We didn't know he was there, and... And, uh, boy, when we walked up to him and, and that one side of the antler, I, I could see it right now like it was yesterday sticking so high above his ear. It was just, I mean, to have two 35- or 40-year-old guys in the swamp just giddy over a deer like that was just, I'll never forget it. No question. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Great story, by the way. Yeah, it's head-on truth. I mean, it's just what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate to do what I do every day, and I get to hunt some species that are just awesome, and I wouldn't treat, there's a lot of them I wouldn't trade for anything in the world, but, you know, to have that experience with my brother and, and uh, be together like that, that that's what it's about. No, right, absolutely. And, and getting that a little bit deeper, you know, it, it goes to show right there, you know, the, the kind of the proofs in the pudding with uh, with you saying that the weather conditions were not primed to go out and, and something that you normally probably wouldn't do. And, yep. and you think that made a difference in getting that uh, 
big deer on his yeah, face I mean, that night? Looking back at it as a as a, the technical end of being a whitetail hunter, I should have never got in the stand that afternoon. And, and there's probably nine times out of ten, if I was put in that situation, I would turn the truck around and you're going to another stand or whatever. But we were just so dead set on going there. We had everything planned. I said, well, and it was blowing so hard that I said, well, let's go in there. Maybe you won't even wind us. And uh, sure enough, and I was sitting there just literally, I mean, you know, those magical white tail days that just flatten out and it's cold and it's November and the rut's on and you just know something's going to happen. Yeah, that's amazing. It uh, just goes to show you that always go take that chance as long as it's safe. Yep. I mean, you can be the most calculated hunter in the world, but sometimes you just got to give it a shot. I mean, the, two, of the, two of the largest bucks I've ever shot in Rhode Island have been on, you know, windy days, at least to start out. The other big one was like a 146. Um, you know, I shot him literally in the wind, in the thirty mile an hour wind. Amazing, yeah. I, I, I've I've learned over the years that the, the more stories you hear, that uh, the wind and the rain, and it seems like it almost throws their their techniques to be able to detect you off. So you know, it, yep. it's a chance you got to take. Absolutely. Yep. Sound like a chance that paid off for you. Tell us a little bit about your tree stand setup on that particular hunt. Yeah, I mean. It's a little different in Rhode Island with the tree stands. I'm all about being mobile and the climbers, and I love climbers. But I think with us at this point, a lot of the properties we've hunted uh, for so long, you know, 15, 20, even 30 years, that we kind of got a lot of these deer dialed in, and we know which stands are a little uh, more active in November and which stands we need to stay out of in September. And I think we've hunted here so long, it's kind of got it dialed in. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's hunting and things can always change. But, you know, 80% of my stands are kind of in the same location every year. And and it might change up a a few things here and there if I see a big deer around. But um, for us, you know, Rhode Island's a little bit different because it's so small. So you can really narrow down these deer of the certain swamps that they live in, the certain fields that they go to every night and, so it's it's a little bit easier to dial things in. Hmm, interesting, Dean. What's what's your uh, normal setup these days when you go on a whitetail hunt in Rhode Island? What what kind of things do you do to prepare to give you the the biggest edge that you can? Well, I think for me, um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of all the scent clothing, but on the same token, uh, I'm old school. I mean, you hunt the wind. So if you want to hunt a certain stand and the, and the wind is wrong, typically you're not going to go in there. So. Um, you know, we've got stands that are set up for for certain winds and work some days, don't work other days. So for me, it's all about the wind. And, and uh, you know, again, Rhode Island's so small. Some of these swamps that we know are good swamps, we may have four or five stands set up on that swamp. So, you know, depending on the wind, we might go to one one day and one the other. And, and uh, you know, for me, it's it's uh, I use a lot of ladder stands just because they're easy to move. Um so I use a lot of ladder live stand setups, but uh, I do use some climbers. I'll have some climbers from time to time too, as well. Gotcha. So you you're, you've hunted all over the world. Do you end up doing uh, a, the majority of your whitetail hunting in Rhode Island still, or do you venture out? No, no. I mean, I hunt a lot. Uh, you know, I hunted Kansas a lot. I hunted uh, Canada a lot. Um, you know, I haven't done the Iowa thing as much as I'd like to, but I do. I, the last several years, I've been out in Canada. I shot a really nice one out. Uh, I'm sorry, Kansas shot a really nice one out there last year. So uh, I do a lot of hunting back home, but, um, you know, with my job, I'm I'm fortunate I get to hunt whitetails a a lot of other places as well. Gotcha. So, Dean, looking back um, on your life, what would the Dean of today tell the Dean of 20 years ago? 
What would the dean of today tell the dean of 20 years ago? You know, I think, um, I think for me now, I enjoy, I enjoy hunting a lot more. I think when I was young, I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as I should have. I was more driven to do it um, because I think I, I, I've got out of athletics and I had a certain mindset in athletics where you had to get better every day. And, you know, I think when I first started being serious about hunting, it was always about getting better the next day and um, you know, maybe shooting a bigger animal than I did the, the year before. And, uh, that used to frustrate me a little bit. But I think now I've, I've learned a little bit more to a lot more to, you know, just enjoy the moment, enjoy hunting. You know, it's great. If you don't see a giant, you still seen a lot of does. You're out in nature. You're out, you know, you're, you're doing what you love. You're not working technically. Um, so, you know, and for me getting to travel the world and hunt, you know, I, I try to take in every experience and, you know, I've done, I did my stone sheep hunt last September and certain things like that, that, yeah, I get very focused to want to shoot an animal because you don't know how many times in your life that you're going to get the opportunity to do that. But also I took a lot of time to enjoy that hunt and just, uh, you know, take in the whole experience. Gotcha. So I think. In a nutshell, I would tell myself to, you know, not be so wound up tight and, and enjoy every uh, and every step and, and not be so focused on the end result. Gotcha. That's a good one. So if you had a favorite hunting book, what would it be? Ooh, a favorite hunting book. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. My favorite movie is Legends of the Fall, so I'd probably have to go with that in book form. Um, you know, tough to tough to, to go against Legends of the Fall in anything, so I think if I had to pick a book, it'd be that one. Okay. Cool. And what's your number one hunting tip? My number one hunting tip. Um, you know, I think for the guys and the ladies that travel to hunt, my number one hunting tip is listen to your guide. I think there's too many people in this world that, you know, I may be a really good hunter in Hawaii, in, um, in, in Hawaii, in Rhode Island, but, uh, that doesn't necessarily make me a good hunter in Kansas. So I think, you know, listen, it's traveling as much as I do. I, I've gotten a lot better at listening to the people who know the area. Hmm. That's a, that's a really fascinating tip. We haven't heard that one yet, but I think you're right. I think if you're, you're traveling from state to it, state. It's hard to do because I'm one of those guys that firmly believes you want something done right, you do it yourself. And there's no question I'm type A. But um, in some of my better hunts, I've just listened to the guy. Let, hmm. let him put you in the places that, you know, and when you're paying a lot of money for these hunts, I know it's hard. You know, I, I go back to my stone sheep hunt. It was one of the hardest things for me to do because you give up a certain amount of control and, and I'm a control freak. Um, but you have to have trust in your outfitter and that's what makes uh, any traveling to go hunting much better. Right. That's a good one. I like that. And besides your weapon, what's the one thing that if you leave it in the truck or you left it at home, it will drive you insane all day in the field because you don't have it with you. What's that one item? There's, there's only one answer to that, and that's my optics. Your optics. <laughs> that seems to be a very I mean, popular I answer. have any other answer, right? Right. No, it's a good one. That's, that's what Dusty answers, and, and my answer is a lot of people are answering that exact way. The optics are key. Huge, huge. Drives you nuts. So what's uh, what's the future of the show? Where, where are we going from here? No, the future the future of the show is you know um, certainly to keep a good balance. I mean, we know white whitetail hunting is important. The consumer, the the people that are watching the outdoor channel, they they want to see whitetail hunts. No question. So we'll continue to do those. 
I mean, I personally like the whitetail hunts that are a little more spot and stalk and not sitting in a tree all day. As much as I love to sit in the tree, I, I mean, that's how I grew up. I just think with TV and, and entertaining people, it becomes a little more entertaining when you're moving around and not just sitting there. Um, so we'll continue to do that. And then the show itself, I, I, I like the adventure hunts. I like the cultural hunts that kind of adds a little bit more to the hunting flavor, maybe different cultures, maybe exposes uh, hunters in the U.S. To, to different customs, to different ways to hunt throughout the world. I think that makes us better Im- ambassadors for, for our hunting community, um, just to see how other people do it, whether they believe it's right or wrong, at least you, you're exposed to it. So I think we'll continue to do that. And, you know, I work for a company. We're very visible in the hunting community. That we have a lot of pressures right now, with whether it's you know lion hunts in the news or uh, you know politicians against guns. So I, I think we all need to become better ambassadors. I mean, I'm a gun guy. I'm I'm a, a proud hunter. I, I believe in what we do, but I also think we can get a lot better at delivering our message to. You know, we're really good at delivering the message to each other. I just wonder sometimes how good we're, we are at delivering the message to, you know, the 60% of our U.S. population that can kind of go either way on it. Right. Good point. Yeah, the gray area. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. The gray area. And yeah. that gray area is becoming more and more important. I mean, let's face it, there's, there's 20% of us that, that love to hunt fish, love guns, all that stuff. There's 20% of them that, um, you know, strongly disagree with it. And there's a big chunk in the middle and, and that's, that's where we need to do a, a little bit better job, I think. So, you know, I think with the show, I just try to try to educate people a little bit. Let's see what's going on in the rest of the world, but let's be better at, at, at our own pressures and, and be better as hunters to, to promote the sport. And again, I, I strongly feel we do a great job promoting to each other. There's no question. Right. I love it. I love everybody I meet in this industry. I just wonder, you know, I know a lot of people in my own personal life that don't hunt, don't fish. And when these hot bed issues come up, they, they, they'll call me and they're like, what do you think? And it's amazing the misinformation that's out there. Right. For those people. Gotcha. Good one. Real good. Um, if we wanted to find your show, if we wanted to watch your show, when does it air? Yep. How can we find it? What days? We have uh, three times a week on the outdoor channel. It's uh, uh, Tuesday, like one in the morning. Then we got Wednesday at four thirty and Sunday at six thirty p.m. And that's the prime time airing. So that's typically the airing that people go to is that Sunday at six thirty. So um, hopefully people like it. You know the ratings have been there. We'll continue to, to promote it and keep going and, and uh, see where that takes us. Excellent, man. And if we want to reach out to you, if we have more questions as listeners of the show, how do we reach yep. out? To be honest with you, the best place to get me is on Instagram. I'm a big Instagram guy, Dean Capuano. Um, on my Instagram, certainly anybody can reach me through the Swarovski website at www.swarovskioptic.com. And uh, those are probably the two best places to get me. Awesome. Dean, this has been a pleasure. I can't thank you enough for being on the show and kind of telling us your, your life story and how you got where you are today. It is uh, it is fascinating <laughs> that, you know, how you're, thanks to your sister, you're, you're, you're uh, now doing a TV show. So thanks, sis. Um, but, uh, thanks for joining yeah, just us. Don't te- just don't tell her I'm overly happy with it. <laughs> I'll send her the link to the show and you can, she can hear it from your own voice. How about that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Dean. Uh, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Sounds right. good. Well, thanks to Dean for being on the big buck registries, big buck deer hunting podcast and kind of telling us his whole story, how he got 
to where he is today and where he came from. Uh, everybody starts somewhere, that's for sure. So Absolutely. Love the story. Uh, Dean, good luck to you with, with the optics company and the show. Uh, we're following you. you know, and if you ever need anything from us over at the Deer Hunting Podcast, just let us know. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week this week? Absolutely, you know, and I'm, I'm going to get into something that um, that over the years I've I've just naturally picked up and learned on my own, and, and I'm, I'm going to share this. It's something that I uh, I I've keep not really to myself, but I, I try to express it in a professional way that that you understand. Uh, you know, everybody picks up uh, new land, and, and a lot of people are, are hunting some land that they've they've had for generations. Let let the whitetail buck tell you his story. That makes sense to you, Jay. I get that. I do get that. And, and you know, that it's something that's really hard to explain, and I'm not going to get into full detail, but uh, once, once you figure out how to read that buck's story and what he's doing and where he's traveling and where he's living and what he's eating, if you can process all that, man, it really makes a difference in your, in your, in your success rate. It does. Know them better than anything you really know in a lot of ways. You just want to study them, make, become a student. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, once you figure out how to read and learn and acknowledge what that buck's doing, man, it, it really, and it takes years. And that's something that, uh, you know, that it's a lot of time and it's something that you really can't explain. You just need to be in the woods and, and it'll all be like a Rolodex of information once you figure it out. Yep. You got to learn their habits. Yeah. They'll tell you their story. They'll tell you exactly they will. what and all day, every day, and you just got to be able to read the woods and read the environment and read the tracks, read the, the scat, read the rubs, you know, we, read the, the water crossings. It's all, it's all a story that'll tell itself. You know, when I walk up to a creek, is, is uh, the deer actually stopping here and eating or are they just traveling through? You, you can tell by the way that their hooves are hitting the bank. If they're just passing through, they're going to be real deep inset hoof marks leaving the bank because they're on the trot. If, if they're walking out of the water after they've had a comfortable drink, they're calm pa- passing through there, there's going to be slide marks where them deer just try to get some traction walking up the hill. Right. You know, just, just little things like that that uh, you stop and, you know, it's, that's just something simple that I can pass along. And, and it shares the information and you're able to read the map of what they've done when they cross that particular creek. Yes. And if, that, there's, that, if there's a lot of slide marks and there's uh, – you know, a lot of activity right there just at the start, the basin of the creek going up the, the side of the bank. You know that that deer is just easing out of there. They're comfortable crossing there. They're not on the run. They're not moving through the area quick. And that, that may be somewhere that you can potentially have a beautiful scenery hunt and be real successful on that creek crossing because they're comfortable. It's a natural zone for them to cross at. Yeah, the story's in the details. And uh, don't, don't just... Um bypass the story you know take a close look digest oh, it it's all Think right about it. it's all right in front of your right. right in front of your face there if you just stop and process everything that you're looking at right a lot of clues right before your eyes you're just gonna yeah, figure out tell, what it means they'll tell their story you just gotta be able to read it that's right exactly so dusty where can we find you when you're not hanging out with me here on the mic facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors facebook.com forward slash chubby gobbler you can also reach me on instagram at chasing antler and you can also shoot me an email dusty at bigbuckregistry.com jay when you're not hanging out with me where can the people find you at you are a social media hound dusty you are everywhere that's so cool i am also uh just about everywhere and uh 
You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. We're on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, bigbuckregistry.com forward slash iTunes if you have an Apple device, or you can go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash G app if you are on a some kind of an Android or Google device. If you would like to submit the big deer that you shot to the Big Buck Registry and be famous for a day in front of 160,000-plus followers, you can go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash mybuck, and that will give you all the details and instructions on what it takes to make it to the page. And if you have uh, an email question for me or Dusty, it's jordusty at bigbuckregistry.com. Don't be scared to ask, people. We want to hear from you. We do. We want to hear from you desperately. And, and we'll, we'll, try our, we'll try our best to give you a straightforward, honest answer and try to, uh, you know, to, uh, acknowledge the question as bestly and answer it as thoroughly as we possibly can. That, that's why we're here. Absolutely. That's why we're here. And the, we're getting more interactions. We're getting more people coming on board and asking questions and opening up and telling us about their deer hunting strategies, their stories, asking us questions about the, the new you know, the new hunters asking us questions about how to do certain things, things that we probably know, or if we don't, we, we know somebody that does that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. we, we've been real fortunate to have some great experiences in our hunting careers and, you know, we're very informal and, and willing to pass along information that, that, that will take your hunt to the next level. It's a, yes. you know, just something that don't be scared to ask. And we've had some incredible guests who know a lot more about deer hunting as a collective than any one individual will know for sure. And that's why we're doing this deer hunting podcast to share with you all the knowledge that multiple people have and hopefully make you a better hunter uh, down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Jay, just uh, think about if we put all the guests together that's been on the show, how many years of experience do we have here to offer? It's insane. It would be hundreds of years. Absolutely. Probably even so, thousands. Know, we, we definitely got information available and we, we have resources to contact if there's something that we cannot answer, but likeliness to stump us pretty slim, but we'll try our best. Right. We do. And we've got some experience and we certainly have learned a lot over the last few years from other people. So I'd be surprised if we, if we could get stumped. But then again, I always learn something every time I listen to somebody else talk about deer hunting. So never ending cycle of learning. Well, Dusty, this has been one heck of a show. Again, my friend, it's uh, it's always a pleasure hanging out with you for an hour and uh, talking deer hunting. So, thank, thank you for that, sir. Well, I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see, see you next week. Can't wait.